0: I think it's totally unfair because oh, obviously for me to discuss that relationship, my view would be construed as subjective and probably rightly so. And I don't think that I'm in a position to discuss that.
1: One morning I came into my office and right and early, she's right in my office, sitting right across from me. And I said, um, oh, Yoko, you're up. And she says, yes, I must talk to you. And I said, okay so i pulled out my my notepad and, and my pen and i said well okay because well, you know that john and i are not getting along and i said well i'm sorry to hear that and we're thinking god everybody knows in the house that they weren't getting along so he's going to start seeing other people i said oh and my first thought was who am i going to be working for her or him and finally she said well you know i know that he likes you and my eyes just like lit up and i said what excuse me i said not me She says, oh no no i know you're not after him but I know you would be nice for him. I said, why me? I said, I don't want to. She says, she says, because I know you'll treat him right. Don't you want him to be treated right? So I know you will. So I said, no, I can't go out with it." He goes, oh, yes, you will, you should. I said, no. And this went on, and she finally said, listen, you don't have a boyfriend, this will be the best. I said, no. And she said, oh, you will go out with him. I said, "Uh -uh." uh-uh. I said, oh, yes, you will. And she walks out of the room.
0: Excited that he now had permission to play bachelor, John soon won over 20-year-old Mei Pang.
2: Welcome to this week's One there was Fab. I'm Ed Chin. And I'm Lonnie Pena. Yep, Lonnie's back. This week we're going to talk about May Pang's film, and the film did not play anywhere near John in Tyler, Texas.
3: Yeah, only a few selected cities, apparently.
2: A little bit more than selected, but it wasn't a huge number of theaters. However, I'm not so sure anybody's making any money on this. The theater we were in had eight people in it yeah count them there were eight including us and a couple of other people i've spoken to in a couple of different cities have said oh you know 10 12 maybe 14 or 15 so other than new york and los angeles where they actually put out a strong effort to get the crowds out there weren't that many people who showed up for the screening
3: it was not a very good showing But we were there, and that's what matters, right?
2: Exactly. And so we can talk about it. A lot of people on the internet, on Facebook, have said some good things. And there are good points to the film and, well, some not-so-good points to the film. And we will mention them as we go along.
3: Okay. Well, that sounds like a plan to me.
2: (laughs) All right. So before we get into that, something new for Paul McCartney. For the very first time, he is on the Hot Dance Electronics Chart.
3: Well, is that Electronics uh, Chart, like, recent? Or how long has it been around? It's
2: it's a relatively new chart. There used to be just a dance chart, and I think they merged them or something. But Paul never actually even ever got on the dance chart, apparently.
3: Okay, because I thought a temporary secretary did some go-around on the dance DJ market
2: Billboard changes the charts so frequently but still it's something it's not a bad version you can get the dance remix on YouTube and it's actually not that much of a switch from the original so what song is it again? Say 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 Let go go basically pulled out the original vocals so you actually get to hear more like isolated vocals oh he pulled out michael jackson's vocal well paul and michael jackson's (laughs) vocals okay and then you know he uses some of the original backing he has played around with it a little bit and he's added some new backing of his own and it is more of a dance groove with michael jackson it's kind of what you'd expect well we'll have to talk to kid about that one the next time we talk to her is
3: it something that will be uh, like streaming on Spotify or something or
2: it should be uh, it came okay. out like at the 1st of the month and as I say it is available on YouTube. Okay. Well, I'm going to have to look into that. Not terribly far removed from the original, but it's also different enough that I can see why it's making a move on the dance charts. Okay.
3: I seem to remember, I, I think I have a uh, one of those 12-inch disco singles of that song.
2: There have been so many remixes of that. Although the one I like is still the one that they play on the Beatles channel every now and again, where they have reversed Paul and Michael's vocals. So Michael <laughs> is singing Paul's part and Paul is singing Michael's part. Because, you know, they did both sing the whole song all the way through. And they just picked out different lines for each of them to be in the four. That's nifty. So anyway, that's what's new. Really nice that at his current age, Paul can still do something new on the charts. He's here, there,
3: and everywhere, is he not?
2: <laughs> yep, and this fellow Kaigo is apparently really pretty good at updating old songs and getting the kids interested in them.
3: Oh, I've never heard of him, but I'm sure my daughters may or the kids.
2: <laughs> All right. So April 13th, which was a Thursday, the May Pang film, which had premiered a year ago at the Tribeca Film Festival, came to theaters. It is actually still showing in some cities like New York City and a couple of other places. But for the most part, it's just you know, not around. If you can find it, great. I would say go ahead and see it. Yeah, I haven't
3: checked yet, but I i guess it was just one night. Here in Houston, it was just the one night. Yeah, but it did play like in five different theaters in the
2: metropolitan area. Three inside the city limits, and then there were a couple more which are just outside. So yeah, It was around, but I mean, again, it's a shame that nobody wants to take a chance and put these things out on video anymore because this would be a really nice piece to put on video
3: yeah i think so
2: then they could do bonus features and they could about the entire full length interviews on a second disc and you know all of that stuff but i don't think anybody's going to do it and given the showing i'm not so sure that netflix or Apple or anybody is really going to want to pick this thing up to put on their streaming service.
3: Yeah, I was about to say that. It'd be nice to have a little some extra footage, some behind the scenes interviews, a little bit more Julian and so forth.
2: Yeah, Julian is heavily involved in this project. And and we'll talk about that. Julian has a special relationship with May.
3: Yeah, well, you know, he was a kid, you know? For sure, for sure. And, and, you know, she was young at the time, so he may have seen her as just a good friend.
2: (laughs) Going into the film, there's no Beatles music, and there are just a couple little snippets of John Lennon songs. The longest thing we get is we get probably about 45 seconds of a demo that May had saved somewhere. Yeah.
3: I hate it, though, when they play those carny little... 60-ish rock songs or whatever they are over the Beatle music.
2: Yeah, fortunately, they didn't do too much of that. What they chose to do was to pick other songs which were much cheaper to license. (laughs) Much cheaper, let me tell you. Not a big budget on that. I think it's obvious that they really didn't have a huge budget. Yeah.
3: Yeah, that's true. With some of the graphics, I mean, as we talk about it, some of the transitions from a film standpoint were pretty cool.
2: Some of them were nice. Again, there was far too much uh, just sort of the this kind of public domain footage that you might have found anywhere else. And the other thing that May relies on a lot in this film is she uses old interview footage you know, from the 80s. One in particular, her on the uh, short-lived Johnny Carson competitor, Thick of the Night starring Alan Thick. <laughs> you know, we get like four or five segments out of that. And the other one is Geraldo, which is available in full on YouTube. Yeah, but
3: that was interesting to see. I, would, I mean, you got to have that time period. And that's when she
2: released her first book, right? In uh, yeah, in, in mm-hmm. the early 80s. She was out quite a bit promoting that. The thing about Loving John... And what May has kind of always said was that she had written a 500-page book about all of her time with John Lennon, and the publishers cut it down to a 300-page book, which was 80% about scandal.
3: Yeah, I guess that's what they wanted. That's what they can do.
2: For sure, but if Mae's going to say that, here where she is presenting her version of the story in her way, it seems to have a whole lot of scandal in it as well.
3: (laughs) I got to admit, I was was kind of uh, squiggling in my seat a little bit during some of those parts.
2: There is a lot of things that she could have talked about, but that she didn't really talk about. Really, almost the whole film is just kind of on a surface level.
3: Yeah, I guess with respects to the length of the movie, I guess you, you you couldn't really get too much in there. I'm just surprised she picked what she did.
2: When people complained, and, you know, back in the day, I had a reasonably lengthy email exchange with May until she got tired of me.
3: <laughs> Cease and dismiss or what?
2: <laughs> no, not quite, but I was asking her questions, and she kept coming around to, well, you weren't there, I was... I was the one that was there. Uh, how dare you doubt something that I have to say. It's like, man, I'm not doubting you. I just kind of want a little bit of an explanation. What do you mean by this? And she yeah, didn't like that. Yeah. She didn't like that very much. Didn't, didn't want to dig too deep there, did she? I wasn't going personal either. It was things like she kind of insisted that John was, well, back on heroin during the house husband years. We know there may have been one at most two incidents where he did heroin during those 4 years but that's kind of it we know that yoko had a problem with heroin yeah and that none of that was mentioned in the movie though. no no none of that was mentioned in the yeah. film but i mean that's the kind of thing and even more substantial things you know that again that's kind of a gossipy thing but but that was really where it started and where where <laughs> where may just kind of got tired of me you didn't get a uh, Christmas card that year, did you? <laughs> I haven't gotten a Christmas card from her since. <laughs> Those of you listening, if you think that I don't like May, I, I have no problem with May Mang, but there's a, a reason why I will tend to get a little bit snarky about her sometimes.
3: And now the truth is out.
2: <laughs> Let's move on, folks. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Okay, so the, the film starts with May talking about her family, talking about growing up in Spanish Harlem. But there's a lot that she doesn't mention. She doesn't mention her siblings at all. She has, he had a brother and a sister.
3: Yeah, I noticed that. I was wondering, you know, if she had any siblings and I didn't realize she grew up in that area. For some reason, I thought she was from, you know, like Southern California.
2: No, she's from New York. Uh, Her parents had immigrated there. She also has some issues with her father, which I understand. I get the whole Asians don't treat girls in the same way as boys, but, no, actually, so they did mention, they did mention the brother briefly, because they mentioned that she felt inferior because they had to go and have a boy.
3: Oh, okay, that's right,
2: that's but right. But still, that's the only mention of siblings that we got. She looked up to her mother, who's
3: a very strong woman.
2: But she doesn't tell us why, other than, my mom opened a laundry. Okay and entrepreneur takes a lot of risk and she took care of us while my father was not to go the other way i'd say daddy issues but i mean they're justified
3: yeah but that but that was a real quick little bio on her because it obviously it was
2: about john i would have liked a little bit more on that you know in order to help us understand the story of the relationship between Mae and John, you kind of have to know who is Mae Pang. And I really didn't get much of a feel for who she was as a person going through that. It's at most five to seven minutes in the opening of the film. Yeah. Well, one
3: one thing that it somewhat enlightened me about her, which I didn't know, is is that her love for rock and roll music. Yeah, I didn't know that. I didn't know how she got into the, uh, well, we talk about how she got into the business. I didn't know that was a, that may have played a big part in it.
2: She was a kid at the right time. And we hear a little bit about, oh, I had these friends in high school, either find them if they're still with us or tell us a little bit about these friends.
3: Well, we might get that in the Lifetime Network
2: documentary. (laughs) Yeah. We don't want to see that. This is the John Lennon weekend. <laughs> she went to high school, and they also don't mention that she moved out of Spanish Harlem to go to high school, but right. oh, well, <laughs> the fact that there's more background on May on her Wikipedia page versus in this film is a little bit, <laughs> I get it. You don't really want to talk about yourself all that much, but this is your movie. and It's at least 50% about you, so you you, you kind of really should tell us something.
3: Yeah, I I don't disagree.
2: So she, you know, she went on to high school. We learned that she wasn't really particularly well suited for college. She graduated from high school. She tried to go to a junior college and it just really kind of didn't work out.
3: Yeah, well, college is not for everyone,
2: folks. So, again, going by what's on her Wikipedia page, <laughs> <laughs> which may or may not be true but it, there's no reason to doubt it Yeah what it says is that when college didn't work out she really tried to go off and be a model. What got her to New York? was that that pursuit of, to be a model? She was still living in New York I would guess that she was either living with her parents or living close to yeah. her parents you know she wasn't gonna go away anywhere for college. She well, was looking for work. She was looking for work, yeah. Her goal was kind of, she wanted to go off and be Patty Boyd, be found and be a model. That didn't happen. Well, that didn't happen, and she apparently holds some resentment over that because the casting agents all came to her and said, no, you're not going to make it as a model because you look too ethnic.
3: That's unfortunate. In
2: 1970, she did look a little too Asian for what most people really wanted to see the advertising world wasn't what we have nowadays
3: it was you know twiggy the
2: the only place she might have gotten some work is in like the coca-cola ad i'd like to teach the world to sing Yeah, that didn't come through and she was still looking for work and that was what brought her to apple headquarters yeah
3: they mentioned the fact that what a friend of hers had a connection or was it a newspaper ad or some sort?
4: Well, you know, I, I just happened to one day I was like out there working. Um, I wanted to work. Let me put it that way. I was right. looking for a job. I, I quit school telling my mother I quit school. <laughs> um, it was kind of uh, um, scary. Right. And so I um, I just went on and uh, started looking for a job. And I, I got sent to this building and this guy wasn't going to hire me and I knew it. And my girlfriend met me, and she said, listen, um, you know what's in this building? And I said, what? She goes, Apple Records. And I'm telling you, my head spun around. I said, Apple Records, like Beatles, right. Apple Records? And, uh, and she looked at me, and I, and I looked at it, and I said, you know what? I'm going to go and ask them for a job. And she says, you're crazy. I said to them, I said to my girlfriend, I said, what's the harm? Because at the end of the day, if I, you know, if they say no I'm, no, I'm no worse off than where I am. Right. And so it happened that I got up there and I said, okay, I'm looking for a job. And the woman looked at me like, yeah, okay, next. Nothing ever happened. And she saw me staring and, and looking at stuff. And she said, what are you, is there anything else I can have? I said, well, I was just wondering if, you know, if, if the Beatles ever come here. And she just laughed hysterically. Right. And she said, no, 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 nothing, nothing like that happened. Just at that moment. And maybe the the, um, the the angels are watching over. And just at that moment, I will tell you that uh, that the that all of a sudden all these doors start to open. There were two doors, and all of a sudden all these people started file, filing out. I didn't realize it was their lunchtime. I thought it was past lunch. You know, I was a nine to five, right? Yeah. And now this was a ten to twelve, a uh, ten to six thing. So people were just going out to lunch at one o'clock. So she just happened to mention, she yelled out, she goes, this girl's looking for a job. Are there any openings? And this one guy looked and he says, why don't you come back after lunch? Nice. And that's all it was. Wow. And I came back and I made sure it was way after lunch. And, and I went for the meeting and, and I met a couple of people. They said, can you type? I said, sure. I couldn't type to save my life. <laughs> right. I was taking academic courses. That wasn't in my, my uh, repertoire. Right. So I said everything, and they said, fine, we'll see you on Monday.
2: The way they put it in the film was they were just kind of wandering around the area. They didn't know which building was which. They just knew that that was where people were looking for secretaries.
3: Yeah, and that was the, the Apple office there.
2: They ended up in the lobby at Abco. Alan Klein's company, which also served as Apple headquarters.
3: Yeah, well, that is just so random (laughs) when you think about it.
2: And the (laughs) fact that they not only got through the front door, but security said, oh, yeah, Apple headquarters is upstairs. Uh, They might be looking for somebody. What security person is going to do that these days? She was in the right place at the right time, pretty much. It's a, a completely different world. This was 1970 and... Granted, the Beatles were breaking up, so both Abco and the Apple offices were probably in a little bit of disarray.
3: Yeah, so they, everything was sort of chaotic for Apple at that point.
2: Yeah, you know, we're mm. kind of right in the middle of the Beatles breaking up. Yeah. It was a free-for-all, folks. You can
3: work for Apple, even if it's for a few months.
2: <laughs> her friend is like, should we do it? And her friend apparently chickened out, but May was like, nope, I'm going to go on upstairs and see if they'll give me a job. And and they did.
3: Yeah, amazingly. You know, before the internet and all that, obviously, you could walk in and do that without a resume.
2: She doesn't tell us much about working at Apple or working for Abco. And and I really would have liked to have heard some of those stories. Before John and Yoko came in, what was it like in the offices? What was day-to-day business like apple in new york did she ever meet alan klein did she have any incidents where she had to do something for or with klein none of that's there it's just oh yeah well i walked upstairs and they gave me a job
3: yeah i'm wondering i mean was she in a mail room was she was
2: girl friday or whatever they used to she was more probably like a gopher and an assistant and they mentioned that she did some secretarial she did some typing and she did some filing you know she would have run into whoever was around in the offices at any given time
3: yeah no i agree i, I would l- just really uh you know love to hear what little behind the scenes stuff she did there for apple you know before getting involved with john and yoko
4: you work for everybody's publishing i did all of the um all things must pass album wow. Oh, wow so yeah um uh george couldn't have been nicer i mean he really was the sweetest uh person and we sat we were on the phone talking and he walked me through a few things on the publishing.
2: And so it jumps from there to her first encounter with John and Yoko. John and Yoko were making a couple of art films in New York City, Up Your Legs Forever and Fly. And they were looking
3: for a uh, an assistant during that time.
2: So Apple said, "Well, who's doing the least and who's the youngest hippist?" person we've got in the office and so, so that was how may got kind of hooked up with john and yoko yeah
3: she was every bit of what 19 18 or 18? so yeah, yeah it's, it's
2: incredible she does retell a story that, that's in her book uh, if you've ever seen fly fly is a naked woman on a table and they have a a fly crawling over this naked woman's body
3: it's not in slow motion, folks.
2: It's a fly. A fly only goes so fast. <laughs> to keep it from being sexual or even sexualized, they are just very tight in on this fly. So it's yeah. almost an abstract thing.
3: Yeah, it's a lot of real, like, zoom in. You don't really see anything of a body other than the skin on a person. But it's, it's like you said, it's close ups
2: This was the middle of winter, and so May tells this story that she is told... To, in her book before that she had to go to a restaurant and (laughs) go to the chef and say, can I come in here and capture flies? They were uh, sending
3: out a number of, I guess, volunteers to do that.
2: That was her job for the day was to go and capture flies for Yoko. Kind of amusing. Yeah. The avant-garde films, I kind of wish the Lennons would release them. One thing I want, especially now that they're streaming is, Just put together a collection of their art films. That would be awesome. I saw Fly and probably you saw Fly at the Yoko show when she did an art show here. And they they had a room which just played them on a loop. I was at a film
3: festival in the late 70s where they had a number of John and Yoko movies or films. So I saw that in the Midnight movies.
2: And I saw it at the Yoko art show. I mean, it sounds weird. And it is weird, but it's also kind of mesmerizing, actually. <laughs> it's a little bit fascinating. Yeah, and it's a little long. That it is. <laughs> Most of the Yoko art films end up being a little bit long. It's a cool idea. It's great for five or six minutes, and then it goes on for another 20. Not Yeah, not a whole, you know, half an hour or an hour. <laughs> and then John and Yoko went back to London. They went back to Tittenhurst, and... As it's put in the film, Yoko requested that May tag along. They wanted her as their PA in London.
3: Yeah, yeah, they they eyeballed her, I guess, you know. They, they selected her specifically.
2: It also could have been that, okay, you know who we are, you know how we worked. You're not starstruck by John Lennon. You know, great, we don't want to have to break in somebody else.
3: Yeah, she passed the test.
2: So you know, she was around during the filming of... The Imagine film and then actually the recording of Imagine.
3: Yeah, there's some, some, some uh, pretty good stories there and, and little footage.
2: A lot of the stories are extensions of what we got in that Give Me Some Truth documentary yeah, about right. the making of. But this is kind of where we start to hear a little bit about the relationship between Julian and May. This is where Julian met May and this was the first time they kind of interacted to any great extent. Yeah.
3: Yeah, that's right. And Julian was every bit of, what, maybe 10, 11 years old at the time. And I guess Julian could have kind of perceived her as maybe an older sister-ish.
2: Could be. I I mean...
3: She was very young.
2: And we, we have to remember, not only was John a little bit distant, Cynthia was not the closest of parents at this point in time. You know, she was not only... Getting over the divorce, she had the whole business with Roberto Bassanini,
3: yeah, going yeah.
2: on and trying to get that. So I could see Julian being a little bit lost. And we see just that tiny bit of Julian and his friends playing in the rowboat in the Imagine film, yeah.
3: And it seems so happy. And you know, if, with May Pang being there, I'm sure she paid a lot of attention to him as well.
2: Well, that was kind of her job. <laughs> Right. You know, not right. not that she did it only because it was her job, but John and Yoko were busy with getting this recording done and getting this filming done and May was the assistant and Julian was when we have time for him, which is a horrible thing to say, but that's the way it was.
3: Yeah, so she
2: was somewhat of a nanny, you're saying? Yeah, that, that would kind of be my guess. And, uh, you know, as you say, she might have filled the au pair role. You know, she was of the appropriate age and hanging out with Julian and his friends wouldn't have been too much of a problem for her.
3: Yeah, I would tend to agree with that.
2: So we a little tiny bit of the film. Uh, largely, we get the scenes where May is in the Imagine film. That's right. And this is something that she does throughout the whole film. We get these pictures of John Lennon, and then it kind of zooms into the background. And there over in the corner is Mei Pang. It's like, yeah, I was there.
3: Some of these photographs I, I remember, but then I don't remember her in the photograph. I didn't recognize her or maybe it was sort of
2: blotted out. <laughs> she Exactly. She was probably either cropped out or okay. you got to bring the brightness of the photograph up to see who's in the background. Absolutely. You know, the picture was taken to show John Lennon off
5: it's right. like oh right. who is this
2: person in the background well well somebody but may either had access to the negatives or you know nowadays with computer tools you can do all of that yeah i just found that a little bit funny it's like yeah i'm there and i'm there and i'm there oh great i'm glad to know you were there may it was
3: comical cuz they did a lot of that <laughs> it's like oh there she is
2: <sighs> she wants to emphasize how important she actually was whether that's true or not I, you know she was there she did a lot for the Lennons and obviously she showed up a lot but she was never anywhere near the center of attention
3: no not at all she's
2: kind of always off in the corner
3: those photographs represent because she was in the background somewhere
2: following the John and Yoko story we know that they moved back to New York yeah that was a 72 right that was 72 after the Imagine Sessions or, or yeah. just at the end of the Imagine Sessions. You know, they recorded the overdubs or some of the overdubs in New York. Yeah. And here comes our favorite bit. We get a little bit more of the clock film. Yeah, I love it. You know, you and I, we talked about John playing Buddy Holly and what was the clock film. And, and we'd seen a little bit. I think we get a little bit more. These aren't the same scenes that we got in Give Me Some Truth.
3: Yeah. No, it, it's it was kind of cool to see it. it. It was not bad quality.
2: I would guess that May probably has a print around somewhere.
3: And you could hear, you know, John, you know, answering the phone. Que pasa?
2: Which is our favorite line out of that
3: whole soundtrack. <laughs> and one part, he was, you know, moving his guitar around and he hit the uh, chandelier or something in the room and and May let out a huge laugh, which was pretty cute.
2: <laughs> we can see a little bit more of what was going on. And yes, now we know. That was indeed May that John was talking to yeah. Uh, on the soundtrack. And, and there she was. And it's like, oh, well, great. That's really kind of cool.
3: And we knew the precise time, too.
2: Because we had the clock, yep. <laughs> now, here's where May clearly does not like Yoko anymore. <laughs> she She's <laughs> kind of tried to be neutral to this point. But she has this story about Yoko refusing to put Julian's calls through to John. Uh, maybe it's true, but also maybe there's a reason behind it.
3: Well, you know, everything was going good in the film until that point. <laughs> Got a little personal.
2: I would kind of agree. Here's where it starts and and so a lot of these scenes are illustrated by there's line drawings which kind of become animated. Yeah. You know, come to life, and those show up every now and again. There's lots of reasons, including the one that May suspects that John may not have wanted to talk to Julian. But I kind of think Yoko prevented it from happening is a little bit low on my guesses of why that might have been. Uh,
3: you know, they didn't leave anything to speculate in this documentary
2: (laughs) it's may's point of view we get that and from this point forward you know she with one exception she's held her tongue to this point but now she's gonna let it all out it's like yoko's a bitch
3: that's her perception and and of course it's so it's the story she is telling us but also telling julian and sean
2: and so forth who's sean sean never even comes up in this film No, he doesn't. Not at all. His name is not mentioned. But this does also tell me why Julian kind of thinks some of the things he thinks about his dad. Because as is made clear, May and Cynthia were pretty close. And, you know, May and Julian have had a relationship. So he is more willing to listen to and believe May pangs versions of events, whether they're real or not. Exactly. I'm not going to say.
3: No, exactly. Again, that's her perception, and, and that's been conveyed over to young Julian all these years.
2: We're kind of in agreement. You know, it goes from there to the night of Nixon winning the election. It's also funny. The name Elephant's Memory hasn't come up yet in this film, and it doesn't come up in this film.
3: Yeah, I don't have any memory of them mentioning
2: that. (laughs) Really, the whole thing about the night of Nixon getting reelected was not just John going off with the groupie and, well, pounding her relentlessly, shall we say?
3: That infamous night.
2: The other end of that was Elephant's Memory trying to console Yoko. Right, right. Elephant's Memory has just kind of been cut out of this story. Yeah, they just clipped it out, folks. I think we got a brief shot of sometime in New York City, but not too much.
3: No, just it's it was so
2: quick. That leads to part 2 of this story and May still has her version of events. What she claims is that the relationship between John and Yoko deteriorated. I mean, we know that happened. Right. What May claims is that Yoko called her into the office and said you should go off and be John's girlfriend. Is it true that Yoko arranged your affair with John?
1: Yes, it's true. She sat me down in the office one day and she said, we're having problems, which everybody in the house in, you know, who's working for them knew. And we were sitting there uh, together and she looked over at me. She goes, well, you know, we're going to have, um, you know, John's going to start seeing other people because we're not getting along. And I just stared at her and I said, yes. And I'm thinking, who am I going to be working for, him or her? And next thing you know, she said, well, you know, I know that he likes you. And I said, excuse me? And she said, I know he likes you, and I know you're going to be good for him. But I said, but I don't want your husband. She said, that's okay. I know you're not, you're not wanting it. You don't want him, but uh, it's okay. I think you'll be good for him.
0: You didn't love John.
1: Not at the time. I loved him as a person. I liked him as a person. Everybody right I mean?
0: loved him as a person. Right. but You had no romantic feelings for John.
1: No, not at all.
0: And yet you agreed to accept this relationship
1: no I didn't agree at first John in the end pursued me and his charm won
0: me over within a relatively short time May, right. you agreed to be John's girlfriend mistress whatever you call it.
1: he took me out on a date that's basically how it starts and we did live together separately away from the household
0: and he did it with the advice and consent of his wife right
2: That hasn't changed. That's the story she's had. And, you know, while I don't think she might have necessarily said girlfriend, I I could see Yoko kind of suggesting it. And we know John Lennon never gets anything done by himself. Right. So, you know, he needs someone around. We won't say looking after him, but at least managing his affairs, shall we say professional affairs not affairs as in sexual affairs right but yoko had i guess
3: she had a feeling though, was it written somewhere and maybe one of those books where she had a feeling that john was looking
2: we've heard that before as well as if the night with the groupie wasn't enough right they were having trouble in the marriage and you know john lennon was not a subtle guy <laughs> Right. When he lusts after women, he lusts after women.
3: You know, Yoko, she saw that.
2: I don't disagree that Yoko might have said something to May, but I also don't think that it was like, oh, go off and become his lover.
0: Lover. Would you care to see my bed adorned with hibiscus petals and my photo of me? (laughs) And
2: Gina Davis.
3: Gina Davis, that sounds nice. (laughs)
2: <laughs> That's where it is. Again, May's version in the film is, oh, I was shocked. I was horrified. I was a good girl. This wasn't something I would do. Yeah.
3: <laughs> it's hard to say, you know. Again, that was a different era as well for many, many different things that were going on in the early 70s. So
2: We're just kind of coming off of free love, and right. John Lennon was still... One of the two or three most well-known people in the entire world at that time.
0: So I guess she couldn't have really resisted. So you accepted, in essence, the position of what? uh, American geisha?
2: No,
1: because I did it for love. I mean, that was I wasn't paid. Now,
0: what? How could you say you did it for love when you didn't love John?
1: Because by the time you go out with somebody, you go out with them. You don't fall in love with somebody on the first date.
0: But may would you have gone with? Uh, all right, here. This okay. this is his wife. She says uh, you go with my husband. He works in uh, the electronics industry. You wouldn't go with the uh, electrician or the electrical engineer. You went because it was John Lennon.
1: That's not true. Uh, hold on, that's not true. Because if I wanted John, this was like a, we're talking. If I wanted John, I was working for him for three years. I had no desires. I had no desires at but all. But that's my point had no desires, but he then, I did not know that he liked me. That's what I found out.
0: Did after. John like you, or was John like you following Yoko's orders?
1: No, he liked me because Yoko he Yoko
0: told- knew mm-hmm. that John was going to start fooling around on her. Right. Yoko knew she could control you. That's true. Yoko picked the safe choice. Here, John, go have some fun with May,
2: knowing... That she could reel him back in anytime she wanted. As it's presented in the film was John just charmed her. Right. She kind of makes the story, oh, John was just so besotted by me that he he had to have me. And he found a way to move past all of my defenses. And here we go. Yeah. (laughs) And then she also says we're going to Los Angeles. Yogo didn't know about it. Yoko knew nothing about it. We just decided we're going to go to Los Angeles now.
3: Yeah, that, that, that was uh, unusual. I never heard that before.
2: One of the things that is mentioned, which actually kind of relates to Cozen's book, which is kind of funny. You know, she says, Oh, well, we had no money because John was on a $3,000 a month stipend from Apple. And it's like, well, that is technically true. But John was also sending all of his bills to Apple. Right. You know, <laughs> money if you send in your bills to your, you know, estate. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you know, so, you know, yes, all of the money from the records was going into Apple's coffers, but John and Paul were free to bill Apple for the recording sessions yeah. and for their living expenses.
3: Yeah. Where well, they were living fairly well.
2: $3,000 a month, that was just kind of fun money. That was pocket money.
3: And then you have to equate that to...
2: To what it is today, yeah. I mean, that, that's still on the order of probably, you know, inflation, that's four times roughly. So we're talking about between ten dollars and $15,000 a month in today's money.
3: Right. That's a lot.
2: <laughs> well, I mean, now granted, they were Beatles. Right. right. And used to... A lot more, but, I mean, that's still not nothing.
3: Of all the, the rental, the lease homes, and, and the bills were being sent to Apple, well, having ten or $15,000 a month, pocket change, is a lot.
2: So they went to Los Angeles. Their, a visit with Julian was set up when they're in Los Angeles. Uh, that is the famous visit to Paramount and visit to the Happy Days set.
3: Yeah, I thought that was pretty cool.
2: The thing that's always kind of weird about that is Happy Days hadn't even been on the air yet.
3: That I guess they were in filming though. I mean,
2: if you look at those pictures, yeah, Henry Winkler is wearing the white jacket that he wore in like the first three episodes because the network was too afraid of him wearing a leather jacket. <laughs> and based upon the time that they were there, the original one, the Love American style show, had been filmed and had aired, but otherwise. John didn't know what this show was, and Julian probably didn't know what this show was. I mean, John would have thought it's cool. I mean, you know, John was a 50s guy, and someone said, oh, yeah, they're they're filming a show set in the 50s over here. Let's go and see it. Right. Okay, cool. We kind of think of Happy Days as being, oh, yeah, that was the big thing in the 70s. But this was, yeah. This was before the show even premiered. John may have known of uh, Ron Howard. That's entirely possible. American graffiti had been around, and it's also kind of slightly ironic that the Beatles would work with Ron Howard decades later on Eight yeah, Days a Week.
3: Yeah, true. But they managed to get there, and they they got to uh, visit with the cast.
2: You frequently see that photo around on the internet, and. Anson Williams and Donnie Most and even Henry Winkler will bring that day up. It's like, oh yeah, you know, John Lennon and Julian were there and Julian probably because he got into Happy Days later and that may have been because, oh yeah, we were on the set. We saw that show. And besides, what kid didn't love Happy Days in the mid to late 70s? Yeah, exactly. Then things get a little bit muddled. May starts to talk about John and his drinking binges, and she gets into the day that he got terribly drunk and tore up Lou Adler's house.
3: She briefly mentioned things like that, but it didn't go into any great, great detail, though.
2: She kind of dismisses, well, actually, what she implies in the film was that Yoko had called and got John all stirred up. Yeah. And that's why he had to go out and get drunk that day. And it's like, well, all right what is mentioned on and off but not really said to any great detail john and yoko were talking frequently may puts this in oh yoko had no consideration yoko would call at any time of the day or night i would get calls from her at 4 a.m okay may all right
3: yeah i mean they were in constant contact and that was not
2: unusual So it wasn't like they were completely separated and going their own ways. Yeah. There was certainly discussions about something going on between them. Well, they were still married. They were still married Mm -hmm. and they were still in the middle of all of the immigration stuff.
3: Right. And,
2: you know, and Yoko was still looking to try and find Kyoko at that time. Yeah. They had business that they had to discuss.
3: Exactly.
2: No, May's version of events was yoko got john all stirred up john went and got drunk john got so drunk he came home and we had to call a boatload of people to come and hold him down after he'd torn up lou adler's house
3: yeah that's crazy
2: what we know actually happened is we know he got drunk we know he was violent when he got drunk and we know that he did tear up lou adler's house (laughs) now beyond that why did it happen How did they manage to calm John down? That we have no idea, and we kind of have to take May's word at least to a point, but it's a little bit hard, you know? Yeah, well, you know, after all, she said she was clean. I didn't drink, and I didn't do drugs, which isn't quite what she says in Loving John. She didn't do them to excess. Yeah, She was not going to overdo it, but... She also wasn't completely clean. No, but she makes that point in
3: the movies because everyone else was under the influence. She was the only one that can remember what happened.
2: She is the most sober of anyone who was around at the time. And you look at who John was hanging with. It's Harry Nilsson and Jesse Ed Davis and rock and roll musicians. <laughs> so her accounts have
3: to be, you know, credible. There one version of events let's say that's right
2: all right we move on from there she talks a little bit about the rock and roll sessions ironically she doesn't paint the rock and roll sessions as being nearly as debaucherous as we know they actually were
3: other than you know obviously phil specter
4: There was a time with John Lennon. There's actually a story that he shot the ceiling. I actually, I was there, I saw it. He shot the um, thermostat off the wall.
0: And uh, John said to him, I don't mind if you're trying to kill me, but I do need my ears. So please knock it off.
4: And the next day I got the bill and had to pay for it and the studio
3: banned us and wouldn't let us in again.
2: Phil basically went nuts. And, you know, of course, now that he's dead and even before he died, he had all those accusations against him. It's safe to besmirch the character of Phil Spector. Yeah. Everybody was happy until... Until Phil came (laughs) along and pulled a gun. And he ran away with the tapes. They were in a little bit of a break while they kind of tried to figure out what they wanted to do. May shows off some photos of her and John, which were taken in Las Vegas. She goes on about how John was so happy to just be an ordinary guy to go and... Gamble and have fun in Vegas like anybody else. Right. Unrecognizable, Mm. and she has some souvenirs from Caesar's Palace, back when Caesar's Palace was old school Sinatra style Vegas. And
3: apparently they drove there from LA, and so the driving back, they stopped at this, what was it, some kind of old town?
5: The middle of the California desert. You may not guess it, it was once home to a thriving little mining town known as Calico. Named for its calico-colored mountains, it was a silver-mining hotspot in the late 1800s. The old style can be seen today in its originally replicated buildings, an accurate depiction of Old West Calico.
2: At this point, it was Harry and May and John, and this was where they came up with the brilliant idea of renting a house and shoving everybody into it, because John and Harry had decided that what they were going to do is they were going to work on Harry's next album the album, which became Pussycats. Yeah, they did rent a house in the hill. They rented quite a house. You actually went by when you were up there, didn't you?
3: Well, it's been a while. I didn't go there the last time I was in L.A., but before.
2: It's all closed off now, but you, you've at least been, been by the area. Yeah,
3: it's in the hills. It had quite a name for itself back in the day.
2: <laughs> the thing about this house is... Uh, it was. It's an old Hollywood house. It was built by Louis B. Mayer, and the attraction to this house is it is believed that Marilyn Monroe and both John F. Kennedy and Bobby Kennedy, separately, of course, not together, had affairs in it. Yeah, May's claim is that John liked the idea of doing it in the same bed that Kennedy and Monroe had done it in. It's like, really? They hadn't changed the beds in... Uh, I know, you know a, they have it I thought about that too, hey. although you know again, at that point it was only a decade, and it was a rental yeah. house,
3: yeah, you're right, only so, ten years have it had elapsed.
2: that is May's answer, and you know not a little bit. John thought of me as Marilyn Monroe. So it's like, okay, I mean she doesn't yeah. say that, but it's kind of implied slightly, right, and they had a lot of people visiting them in that house, so living in the house, you had. Ringo, and you had Harry, and you had Keith Moon, and you had, you know, some of the Hollywood vampire set that John had been hanging out with. And Mal would be in and out of that house. We'll have to see once we get Ken Womack's book to tell us exactly how things went. The most famous visitors were, well, Paul and Linda McCartney. That's right. We get those famous pictures. There's like four or five photos of John and Paul together at the house, That were taken by May, and most of those show up in the film. They're out by the pool, and there's one like where they're sitting at the piano inside, I think. Paul
3: has that little mustache and a little
2: goatee. Yeah, exactly. Now, one place where May has changed her story, Paul has gone around the last four or five years and said, Oh, you know, I kind of helped reunite John and Yoko. That's right. You know, he talks about Yoko had said, Here's this list of things that John needs to do if he really wants to come back home, right? And Paul delivered this list. I said, "Well, would you be? Would you think it was an intrusion if I kind of said to him, Look man, she loves you, and there's a way to get back, and you can sounds like Beatles songs. It sounds like those. The, I send all my loving from me to you." Um, and I said this uh, to Yoko. I said, would that be okay? Would you hate that? Uh, but, you know, we might see him around. So I, I would like to be a mediator in this because I think you, the two of you obviously got something pretty strong going.
3: <clears throat>
2: and she said she didn't mind. So that was that visit. We went out to visit them and, doing pussy, and they were doing pussycats. May had never mentioned this list before, but she does mention it in the film. And she turns it around and says, oh, it was just Yoko trying to control us again yeah that
3: that was her impression of of that
2: do i believe it i certainly believe that's what may believed do i believe that's what john believed i don't know Um, and paul certainly thinks that john took it to heart
3: (laughs) right right
2: so unless paul mccarty is going to tell us the answer to this question uh, (laughs) it remains up in the air but i would tend to believe paul's versions of events a little bit more than may's
3: yeah, same here.
2: The Pussycats album is being made, and one night in the studio, Paul actually comes by. That's right. right. What became the infamous Toot and a Snore, a.k.a. the May Pang Tapes sessions?
3: Very rare recordings, folks. Well... <laughs> Very hard to listen to. <laughs>
2: How rare is it, actually? <laughs> it's all over I mean, YouTube. <laughs> they picked the one kind of listenable bit, the Stand By Me bit. Right. (laughs) And they are also careful to edit around John telling Stevie that some coke is going around and asking if he wants a toot. (laughs) (laughs) You want a toot, Stevie? It's right there. And it's like, (laughs) (laughs) okay. Hence the recording. (laughs) Hence the name of the recording, yep. Kind of like how they cut out Peter Sellers in the Get Back. May's Point of Honor. I was playing tambourine with Mal on that session. So I'm like, <laughs> Great. I'm glad for you. Well, I have to put her in the credits somehow on that album. <laughs> well, they named the bloody thing after her. The bootleggers did, at least. Yeah.
3: <laughs> That's crazy.
2: What happens after that? The Pussycats album gets finished, but it's basically out of control.
3: Yeah, a lot of chaos going on.
2: And John just finally decides he's had enough that he's going to go back to New York and clean up. Yeah,
3: that finally means that he's heading heading back to the, what was it, the record plant?
2: Yeah, to the record plant mm-hmm. in New York. And and that he wanted to both write and record his own next album and try and get this rock and roll business settled. Right. I mean, those, right. those were the two big things he had to do. And while it's mentioned, you know, May kind of dismisses the fact that John went back to New York without her. He mm-hmm. left her in Los Angeles. Right. It's like, well, was he that much in a committed relationship to you, May, that when he's going to clean up and, and you're not part of the solution?
3: He didn't go back to Yoko when he went to New York, did he?
2: He was apparently, at least in the short term, just living by himself. Right. I'm not quite sure where he was living. I think he was living in a hotel. Yeah. They didn't get a place until May came back.
3: But there was a brief period there that...
2: Yeah, there was a period where John was in New York getting himself clean without May. Although Harry did come, and that may have also been part of why John was just so determined to clean up. It was something he wanted to do for the March of Dimes, and it kind of became a little bit of a circus when Harry showed up. And and Harry was, well... When wasn't Harry out of it?
3: Yeah, Harry's Harry.
2: So that goes on. John has finally got himself at least more or less clean, and he gets May back to New York City, and and they move in together.
3: And they get that that little
2: apartment. That had access to the roof, and that had a doorway where you could take lots of (laughs) candid photographs of people coming and going. Right. (laughs) So she has dozens of photographs of famous people leaving their apartment. Bowie and Paul and Linda and Ringo and, well, Harry, of course, and yeah. just bunches of famous people walking up or walking back down these steps as they came into or left their apartment.
3: Yeah, you see the narrow uh, doorway, and the photographs are at a higher level. They're taking – the pictures are looking down on the yeah. folks that are coming into the uh, – Exactly. Yeah.
2: It's up or down a stairwell. Yeah. We hear the stories from that period that we're pretty familiar with. You know, I saw a UFO. Right. And I said, what
4: do you want? And I stopped. And I go, what is that? It was hanging so low over our heads that I could see the underbelly of this thing. Wow. Right. To the point that you could see the heat waves, you know, like when you're, on a, when you're driving and, it, and the yeah, ground the is really right. uh, hot. And it's just waving, and I could see that on the underside. And we're talking, this is like 9 o'clock at night. Right. And, and it was a circular it had white lights going around the rim, going on and off. And, um, and then there's one stable red light on top. And he says to me, I said, what? And I, I, he goes, you are seeing what I'm seeing. I said, how did this happen? What is this thing? And I'm screaming. Right. And no one's coming to, uh, you know, no one's turning on a light. I look at all the buildings. Everything is dark. And I realize even my neighbor who could have come up the stairs, no one yeah not, nobody. so everybody had gone away, and you realize it's Friday. that's what I was saying. It's a Friday night um, in the summer there's no on the street that we live on well, that we lived on was basically a lot of people would not be there right you know, and um, and they they all went away and it was just amazing to watch for I, I would say I watched it anywhere between 10 to fifteen minutes Wow at various intervals yeah, and I watched it as it kept going. Sideways, it turned sideways. What? Flying, fly, as John would start screaming, it's flying below rooftop. Oh wow. my God! And we're—I'm I'm watching this whole thing, and it, it was just—if you saw it in the distance, you would think it was just a helicopter or something. Uh, else. Sorry, right, but right. That. But you could hear the noise below, directly below me, and I could hear the helicopters that were flying. Across the river. Right. But not this thing that was directly over our heads.
2: Amazing. The other famous thing, there's a photo of May taking a photo of Bob Grund taking a photo of John in the what is now iconic New York City shirt. That is certainly iconic (laughs) on the rooftop of that apartment. John did get through his recording. This then leads into Elton coming back.
3: That's right. We're getting closer to November, folks.
2: Now, something which is a little bit strange, when they talk about the Whatever Gets You Through the Night photo and filming, that day, one of the things they did was they attended the premiere of Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band on the Road, the Broadway show, Mm -hmm. which eventually became the dreaded Bee Gees movie. You get lots of photos of that, and... It's kind of a weird story about Yoko showing up while John and May were already inside at the gala. And it's like,
3: yeah, they were seated. Apparently
2: may's version of events was that Yoko came in and she wanted to be seated near John and they didn't have any seats. And so they had to seat her in the back. And so she stormed off and stayed in the back. The story doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me, to be honest. No, but the other thing that happened, which is also a little bit weird, You know, Alice Cooper was one of the Hollywood vampires. Alice Cooper knew John was with May. Right. And Alice Cooper was also at this Sergeant Pepper party. And they have a snippet of an interview with Alice Cooper where he's like, and then John came in with this chick. We didn't know who she was. She was cute and she was cool, but who was she? We thought he'd be with Yoko. And it's like, uh, Alice Cooper? Just... Two or three months ago, you were hanging out with John and May in Los Angeles.
3: Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. But, of course, he could have been drunk or something.
2: (laughs) Yeah, what I'm thinking happened is that some of the interviews are original interviews for the film. And some of them are archival interviews from other places. Until we get a really close look at the credits... It's hard to tell which is which. I'm betting they took these from two separate places. Yeah. Maybe they interviewed Alice Cooper about the Hollywood vampire stuff and then they found an old interview where he was talking about the Sergeant Pepper party and it's like, oh, we can put this in here. That would be my guess, but don't ask me. I don't know.
3: Yeah, you're right.
2: We get to Reverend Ike. That's one of the parts that I really, really liked actually is the line drawing of them in bed watching the TV and there's Reverend Ike and it sounds like they've actually found the original recording from the day that John was watching it. And then we actually get the audio of that again, not for sure, but I think so. You get that impression anyway. That's what they're trying to make us believe. And it's likely, I won't say for 100% that they didn't recreate it or do something else with it, but it's likely that that's actually Yeah. The recording from the day, which is kind of cool. I'm not sure that I ever actually heard that before.
3: There's where John apparently got the phrase, whatever gets you through the night.
2: And Reverend I a popular New York City religious figure, I guess the equivalent today would be like Joel Osteen.
3: I would imagine.
2: But I mean, this was again in an era when there were even on cable, there were only so many channels and Everybody talked to everybody else about what was on the TV.
3: Right. They had an early public access channel in New York in the 70s. It it may have been on that channel.
2: We had Elton introduced another pretty good part. We get them talking about John actually going to Madison Square and rehearsing and then the actual show.
3: Right. There were some clips there. You've seen them all, but...
2: The video is relatively new. We haven't had the video until... Oh, what, five or six years ago? Yeah, or? yeah. Well, we, we, we've seen it before, but it's, it's nice to get it here in. They've cleaned it up a little bit.
3: Yeah, that's true.
2: And they've also interspersed it with a healthy selection of photos from the show. Quite a few photos. Now, what we do know is we know that Yoko had sent John a flower, and John had actually invited her to come down to the show. John is wearing the flower on his suit
5: yeah yoko came to the show before and gave him a gardenia which he wore and you know it just was like the stars were aligned and he came on stage
2: so may's version of events is after the show we were all sitting around laughing backstage and having a good time then yoko barges in on us right there's yoko folks <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly uh and so john went over to her they had a few words and then she left and it's like really i always
3: thought john left with her at that point but apparently not
2: <laughs> that is not the case no he did not actually leave with her but the more accepted version of the story was that they kind of had a long conversation and they said well let's talk let's talk more in depth when we're not in the middle of a party and you know maybe we're at a point we can kind of think about trying to work some yeah, things
3: out." that sounds more reasonable
2: I don't know how long Yoko stayed, but it wasn't just a, Elton's version of the story was that, you know, Yoko came backstage and and John just sort of looked like this puppy. Right. That John kind of knew that this was the beginning of them getting back together. Who do you want to believe? You can believe May, you can believe Elton, and John's is more or less in line with Elton's story, although he he's not going to go the puppy-dog route. No,
3: but they did get back together eventually, so...
2: That is then followed by um, one more trip with May, the Disney World trip where John signed the dissolution of the Beatles papers.
3: Yeah, that was in the hotel, right?
2: And now we've made it to the
5: Polynesian. We're on December 29th, 1974. The documents were brought down by one of Apple's lawyers for John to sign. They were in the Samoa Room 1601. Now Mei Ping reportedly told this story. She said John told her to take out your camera. He joked to me. He looked wistfully out the window. I could almost see him replaying the entire Beatles experience in his mind. He finally picked up his pen and in the unlikely backdrop, of the Polynesian Village Hotel at Disney World ended the greatest rock and roll band in history by simply scrawling John Lennon at the bottom of the page. It was in this room right here, room 1601. The Samoa Room at the Polynesian, right there, where John Lennon ended the Beatles.
2: I guess the first time we saw that was, what, an anthology? Yeah. That was certainly the first time we knew that George and Paul were together on the other end. Right. I believe we've seen May's photos of it. That's that. And there's some mention made of John and Paul had agreed that John was going to go down to New Orleans and, oh, we were so looking forward to the New Orleans trip, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. This would be the end of 74.
3: Right. Okay. So they were still, like, living together.
2: After the Thanksgiving thing, John
3: and May were still together. They were still together for another at least three months.
2: Well, not three months. This was in December before the Christmas holidays. This was almost immediately right after the Madison Square show. Okay. Okay. So the Madison Square show was Thanksgiving. In December, they were in Disney. And then, either late December or the very first of January was done, done, done. The one thing I do like about her retelling is them going to May today. We have not seen a current day may hang until here until the end of the story, right, right. So I mean, that's kind of effective,
3: yeah, that that was she walked into the uh, wherever wherever they were situated, she walked into there, and what did she say? <laughs>
2: I don't remember the exact words, but it was something along the lines of, well, and then it happened. Right. (laughs) She has softened her version of events a bit, but I still just have a real hard time with what she's trying to tell us. What she says is that Yoko called. Yoko said, I'm going to take John back now. And then Yoko came up with this smoke enders thing. right? That's May's versions of, of events. And then, so, you know, uh, John had always wanted to give up cigarettes, something which he never did. He was smoking the Gitanas up until the day he died. Yeah. Nonetheless, he did apparently at the time really want to try and give up cigarettes. And so he agreed to go to whatever this thing is that Yoko had supposedly arranged. Yeah. Now here's where things get a little bit uncertain. May has had several different versions of it. In the one that she tells in the film, John never returned to her. He never went back to the apartment. Right. I mean that's what she says in the, film. In the, in the it, film. I guess implying that whatever happened this was when John returned to the Dakota.
3: Yeah, he he was going out, never came back.
2: Now in Loving John, she does have him coming back. And they spend like one more night together where he but he's insistent that oh, you know, it's time I must go back to Yoko now. Yeah. But the implication is that Yoko hypnotized John? You know she did. She did a little bit of voodoo. She did some black magic on him.
3: Ugh. I don't know about that.
2: I'm not wrong in that That's kind of what she's saying. Or, or do you think I am wrong? I
3: think that John wanted to get back with Yoko. I don't think it was any voodoo involved.
2: And you know, I do kind of think Yoko w- was at least in part, thinking about being ready to move on.
3: But, you know, that may be Pang's uh, rationale to herself.
2: It, it could be. Uh, John Lennon, despite everything, he was a sucker for a lot of things, but he also saw through things eventually, you know?
3: Yeah, no, I, I agree with that.
2: Maharishi and Primal, it's like, as he put it eventually the emperor has no clothes right <laughs> and john never turned around and said oh something funky was going on here so if yoko hypnotized him to come back to the dakota that's a hypnotism that lasted for the next five years
3: yeah that's highly unlikely though
2: it is what it is it's just <laughs> here's where and if you read loving john it's actually even slightly more ridiculous. Yeah. Because in Loving John, she kind of has this snow white thing. John came back after this smoke ender session, and he hands May this vial, and it's like, Yoko gave me this to give to you, and it was this sulfurous, vial smelling liquid, and it's like, oh, <laughs> Yoko hates me. It's a snow white thing. She forced John to give me this bottle of poison. Right. I'm glad that story didn't make it into the movie. Yeah,
3: I'm not going to try to find my book. It's in storage.
2: If you really want to know, folks, there are copies of it available to read on the Internet. There you go. But yeah, no, no, you, you don't have to. But there's a good five pages where you know she goes on and on and on about Yoko sending her this, uh, this nasty, evil – poisonous liquid and it's like she hates me and and then I went to an herbalist and the herbalist said you must pour this out immediately it's very bad for it even to be in contact with you I was like okay may
3: that yeah, she mentioned nothing of that in the film
2: in the film she doesn't even have John coming back to right. her he just took off he just him. took off and that was that and so so that's why there's some difference between the book and what's in the film right <laughs> even though they're both supposedly the same story maybe she has rethought things in 40 years yeah time can change the very end current day may is then followed by current day julian who who is all glowing about may oh she's such a great and wonderful person and that's great you know i'm I'm glad that julian has a friend in may pang
3: yeah he's he's very fond of her and it was quite apparent with his you know it was a a real-time appearance well, time.
2: I guess it was. I mean, yeah. I think it, it was a surprise. So so what happens is, while he's going off and telling us about how great his relationship with May was and how May was such a good, close friend to Cynthia, she walks up behind him. And, you know, the two of them have this joyful, tearful reunion.
3: Yeah, they walk away together.
2: The screen goes to black, and we, and we get a voiceover that, well, John Lennon loved three women in his life. He loves Cynthia... He loved Yoko and he loved me and it's like, okay, all right, sure. That's her story, Ed. That's her story. (laughs) She's sticking to it. (laughs) You know, let's let's wrap things up here. The film, I was kind of hoping for a little more detail. A lot of it is superficial, like I said at the top. I was also kind of hoping that she might have smoothed out some of her loving John stories, which... With the exception of the one at the end there, which she has changed to sound more like something that might have happened to a real human being, right? (laughs) there's a lot of things which kind of haven't changed. She still puts herself right in the center and granted it's her story, but I have trouble believing, not believing it, but I have trouble believing that her version of things are necessarily exactly how things went.
3: Well, like you said, it's 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 her it's her story. And oh absolutely. You know, I mean it's it's uh whether we believe it or not.
2: It doesn't matter. Whether, it really
3: it's true or not. <laughs> there was some good clips in there, some good film. Overall I enjoyed it. It made me feel a little uncomfortable yeah. with the Yoko. Knowing that Yoko is still with us today.
2: Well, she's still still with us, and I mean, yeah, she was pretty
3: poignant about that, you know, Yoko, uh, certain actions that we talked about. Uh, so it felt a little uncomfortable.
2: That is the least of it. Yes, a yeah. little uncomfortable is certainly one way of putting it. I kept wanting to like the film, and there were I would get into it, and there were things that I would like, and then all of a sudden May would say something which just kind of, <laughs> oh really. <laughs> So I, right, right, know what you're talking about. Yeah, I can't say that I enjoyed it completely. It's pretty good. It's a little bit hard to take as the gospel. If I had to grade it, it's probably a a B minus or a C plus. It is well enough put together.
3: You know, I may see it again if it's on streaming but just once
2: it's one of those where if it came on or if it's on some cable network before the ball game, it's like, no, okay. Right. All right. uh, I won't turn this off, (laughs) but that's kind of my thoughts on it. But we waited a whole year to see this document. Mm -hmm. We finally got it. (laughs) It premiered in June of last year. We don't get to see it until April and who knows when it will go to a wider audience, or Mm -hmm. if it will. I mean, I think it probably will. Someone will pay something for it, or someone will just need content. But
3: Yeah, it'll end up on one of the, you know, Prime Video or who knows where.
2: All right. Thanks a lot, Lonnie. I I, I hope I didn't drag you to this film. No,
3: I I went with the expectations that I was just going to see it and not really you know, worry too much about it and just enjoy it.
2: It is not an unenjoyable 97 minutes. No, it's not. It's not great. And don't go in expecting that you're going to really learn a whole lot. Yeah. (laughs) You go in saying this is May Pang's version of events. This is her point of view of those 18 months. And she's trying to tell that version of story. Then, you know. Just take it for what it is.
3: Yeah, it's her closure, I guess. I, I guess maybe.
2: When else is she going to have a chance to tell this story again?
3: Yeah. <laughs>
2: so. so. Now uh, or never, folks. <laughs> all right. So thanks, Lonnie. Thanks a lot for going. Thanks a lot for being with us. Oh, my pleasure. We will talk. Well, John and I will talk again next week. See y'all then. All right. Be safe, folks. <laughs> Subscribe to When They Was Fab on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, or wherever finer podcasts are found. Please join our Facebook group, and we can be reached at When They Was Fab and on Gmail. The opening theme was written, produced, and recorded by Jay Young Kim, Beaster Famine Studios, San Francisco, California.
4: Evidence that people really look deeply, they can see. It was it was you know it was me that was there, and then you know it's still to this day I'm still saying no, but it was me, it's not you know somebody else. Right. And uh, but a lot of the people actually and I I'm, and I thank you know some of the fans that that had met John and I back then. Right. And uh, you know it, I still. I, I still, I still carry. I, I always feel that the truth will ultimately win out. That's how I look at it. But
0: ultimately, he went home.
1: He went home. Ultimately.
4: Free. I tell you one thing: there's sickness going on, and there's some good people doing work in hospitals, but they got no bread to do it on. Not only are they working in a miserable condition with sick people but the are scraping the barrel for funds to keep going. Turned up nice again.